A close examination of Latino health disparities reveals, unlike most other communities, the enforcement of U.S. immigration policy plays a key role. Along with the country of origin, be they Cuban, Puerto Rican, Mexican, or from Central America. Greetings again, Amanda Morgan. Country of origin and immigration policy are among the focus work on Latinos and health disparities being accomplished by the Latino Research and Policy Center in the Colorado School of Public Health at the University of Colorado at Denver. With 20.4% of COVID-19 cases affecting Hispanic Latino communities, overcoming distrust of the vaccine was among the steps required to increase the 11.75% of Latinos who have already received the shots. Contributing to developing the communication tactics employed to reach Denver Latino community members was the work of the Latino Research and Policy Center. On this edition, we learn more of the research and applications work of the center as we continue our conversation with Professor Dr. Lisa DeCamp and Professor Dr. Evelyn Borrello. COVID's impact to those who are working in the cities and urban areas versus the ones uh, who, who are working in our sugar beet uh, fields and that kind of thing, because is there a difference between the two on how health disparities or COVID-19 has been, been managed to get the information to them so they could get the, uh, the vaccines that they need? In the news early on was some of the cattle operations in Greeley yeah. and all of the outbreaks in those processing plants, which are just partially staffed by immigrants. It wasn't just Latino immigrants, but immigrants from other countries. And even workers out in the agricultural field are often in close proximity. And what we've heard from our communities is you just couldn't take off work, whether someone else was sick at work or you got sick. You had to be able to pay your rent and electricity. And a lot of the government programs uh-huh. that were in place to support families, immigrant families were ineligible for these programs. And other families, it took a whole lot of paperwork and Internet access and everything. So even if you were eligible, they were hard to access. So the need to work to be able to keep a roof over their heads and pay their bills meant that people had to make a choice to continue to go and then to work even if they were ill. And that caused outbreaks across a variety of work sectors uh, that disproportionately affected communities of color. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation was reporting that in a study that Latinos said their biggest health concern is diabetes. Are we finding the same thing here in Colorado as well with cancer being uh, not close behind it, but in uh, in second place there as a major health concern that the, the center may be taking a look at? You know, our center is uh, overall focused on research, and we work with um, uh, communities and the problems that, uh, you know, kind of affect the community. Diabetes is certainly a concern, and it's one that, you know, is complex in terms of treatment. My particular area is cancer, so I can speak of cancer, and I know that cancer is the number one killer of chronic diseases in Latinos, more so than cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and other conditions, are also concerning to the Latino community. Are there any special, any special or any particular messaging that has to be done regarding Latinos and cancer that... Uh, for them to accept or at least at least think about the treatments that can be done 
and they're not uh, shunning them the same way initially they may have shunned uh, COVID-19? I think some of it is awareness. Um, you know, what I just mentioned to you, a lot of people don't necessarily know that cancer is the number one killer, that um, a lot of those cancers that Latinos are dying from mm-hmm. are either preventable or detectable, but they are not really being, uh, you know, it's not part of the awareness, I would say, of, of community and those priorities don't necessarily align. Uh, I think diabetes is a really good example that you provide, which, you know, it tends to be one that is talk about more than, let's say, cancer. I think there's a, a lot of not only uh, misinformation, but myths about cancer and, you know, how it is a death sentence once you get cancer, well, diabetes may be seen as more manageable. To both of you, how what kind of a, what kind of a role does uh, cultural norms uh, really play with disparities there? Uh, a culture meaning uh, whatever the country of origin is, but longstanding things, longstanding ways of managing maladies. Does that get in the way for acceptance of the way maybe uh, mainstream Americans are handling some of the same things, and then you have to translate them again? so that people know what it means, so they can do something about it? What role does culture play with the acceptance of treatments? In general, across the board, there's some really positive cultural factors. So the priority on family, and for people who have family here, they often have family that can provide social and emotional and practical support and take care of them. Um, and we know that's not available. And when we think about things like home remedies or alternative healers, uh, most of the time those treatments don't get in the way. And it's been my experience and the literature bears this out in general, that people are very willing to accept Western medical treatments if they have access to them, right? And so if you don't have insurance or you're not able to get things detected, you know, some of the like, well, are they, are, are, Latinos not willing to get treated, sometimes I, you know, what's really clouding that is barriers to the right kind of health care that they need to treat their conditions. And so we've really worked, I do a lot of work with um, resident and medical student education, is to understand how to ask about those alternative or different treatments in a non-judgmental way so you can ensure that they're not taking a nerve that maybe interacts with the medicine but really being open to all the different possible treatments um, and understanding what people are going through and helping them to navigate in a way that honors their cultural background, but also provides them with uh, some of the Western treatments for their conditions. Um, but, you know, again, people have to have access to get diagnosed with the disease and access to treatment. And if people have access, in general, we've seen quite, a high, quite high levels of acceptance of treatment plans. There just might be an adjunct to that um, in addition to what we're doing in the hospital. You mentioned students uh, either to either one of you. The center offers, does the center offer this? Does the school offer the uh, Latino health certificate? And what is the certificate and what does it do? The certificate is offered through the School of Public Health and is offered primarily to students who are um, pursuing degrees uh, in a master's in public health. And it really is not a degree per se, but it's students who are pursuing a degree in public health can have a concentration in 
they take uh, particular courses that focus on social determinants, some of the ones that we have talked about, as well as uh, a seminar. It's a year-long seminar in which they learn about specific, you know, conditions that affect Latinos, mm-hmm. uh, socioeconomic, the socioeconomic and political context that influences, you know, those, those outcomes. So it, it is it's a concentration of courses, if you will, to get that certificate for students who are pursuing a degree at CU. So it's for students who are pursuing a degree. What about working professionals? If they already have a degree, they can, uh, can they also get the certificate itself? Or if they don't have a degree, can they also take the, uh, the courses to get the certificate? I believe it is open to non-degree pursuing students, but I think traditionally it's degree pursuing students who take the certificate. Dr. DeCamp, do you know for sure? In general, it's been degree pursuing uh, students. You can take it without. One of the ideas or visions at the beginning is that professionals in the community who were considering a master, so had finished their undergraduate, but didn't know much about master's training and perhaps were the first in their family to con- to finish college and then investing more in a master's degree, what might be the reason. So this was designed in some ways to allow them to experience graduate school to help make that decision. Yeah. That's been disrupted by COVID and just people not having additional time. But then I think it's just been challenging uh, to work that out even in the classes in the evening with other with responsibilities at work and other demands and then the cost of pursuing uh, this. We've been trying to figure out ways to, to do more scholarship work. Um, but that's just been uh, a challenge that we've yet to overcome. So I think the hope is still there um, because getting, you know, doing graduate work or having a master's degree can often pay off in the type of job you're eligible for and your lifetime earnings, which would be important uh, to closing some of those income and educational disparities. Uh, But it's a complex problem, and so we're still working on finding a solution or having one piece of the solution with this certificate. Um, uh, Research is showing that Hispanic workers have a higher rate of fatal work injuries. Is the center doing anything there to uh, bring awareness uh, to Hispanic and Latino workers to watch out, take care of themselves, follow the safety measures and that kind of thing to to uh, to lower their rate of work injuries? So the CU Anschutz has a program, the School of Public Health has a program that is focused or actually a center on occupational health. And we collaborate with them, one of our staff uh, members is a participant there, and the focus is on occupational health and how to reach those populations. That is their area of expertise where our center kind of collaborates with them. Uh, Would you like to add to that, Dr. DeCamp? So, yeah, the expertise lies within there, but one of the areas in our advocacy and work for policies that are more immigrant-friendly in the way that the types of jobs people do, obviously, if you're in construction, you're at a higher risk. But if you're at a construction site that doesn't have all the regulations, um, people are being paid under the table because of the way we've pushed immigrants to those types of jobs, um, 
you may not have all the safety features in place as you would if you had uh, in when there's contract workers that are uh, not sort of being paid through other means. And so undocumented immigrants are often working in these precarious jobs. And so thinking about our immigration policies and how we think about those with and without documents, that's sort of an upstream. So you can do what you can at the workplace, but it also goes back to our prior discussion about our immigration policies and how those may put people at particular health risks because of, of our current policies surrounding immigration. Are there any or is there any research the center is doing or policy positions that you're looking forward to taking a taking a strong position on the public needs to know something about so maybe they can back you there or we can look forward to seeing what's going to take place? Yeah, I mean, I I think we continue to work with our partner with our community organizations to advance their policies, which range from educational health and education and health equity and um, and promoting policies that are more immigrant friendly. Um, it's been a, but there's not a particular sort of right now we're doing this and we're, we're trying to advocate uh, for that. I, we've done a little bit of work. There's some movement to change the public charge rule. Um, and so we've been trying to have organizations sign on to uh, that and the change to the public charge rule is just if you're if you're trying to move through the legal immigration process, uh, things like use of Medicaid or other government support programs won't uh-huh. count against you. Um, and that's an important uh, piece that kind of has come down the pike uh, recently that we've been trying to get organizations to sign on to. But um, no other big policy pushes right at this time. We've really been trying to support the community organizations and what they're doing. The Latino Research and Policy Center is based in the Colorado School of Public Health of the University of Colorado at Denver. Our conversation on the work of the center has been with Professor Dr. Evelyn Barreo and Professor Dr. Lisa DeCamp. We thank them both again for their valuable time. You can learn more regarding their work on Latinos and health disparities online at Latino Research Policy Center. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Get your vaccine and booster shots anyway. And we do thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.